0: Rising. We have a truly fantastic show for you today. Lots of subjects uh, that I'm really excited to talk about. Lots of very interesting stuff. I feel like I haven't done the show in forever just because I was off on Thursday. You were off on we Thursday We were both as well. off. Oh. Yes. It's good to be back, Robbie. Good to be back. All right. Take it away, Brianna. <laughs> All right. Well, former
1: President Trump sat down for a wide range of interviews over the course of the weekend, including for MSNBC's Meet the Press, where he sat with new host Kristen Welker. Let's tune in.
2: You called some of your outside lawyers, you said they had crazy theories. Why were you listening to them? Were you listening to them because they were telling you what
3: you wanted to hear? You know who I listened to myself? I saw what happened. I watched that election and I thought the election was over at 10 o'clock in the evening. You were listening to your instincts? Uh, My instincts are a big part of it. That's been the thing that's gotten me to where I am, my instincts. But I also listen to people. There are many lawyers, I could give you many books. Uh, I, there are books that are written on how the election was rigged. There are numerous books that were written on how the election was. Just rigged. Just to be clear, were you listening to your lawyer's advice, or were you listening to your own instincts? I was listening to different people, and when I added it all up, the election was rigged. There are books. Were you called it shots, though. In fact, Molly Hemingway wrote a great book. But were you called calling rigged. the shots ultimately? Excuse me, Molly Hemingway, mm-hmm. who's highly respected and great, she wrote a, a book, a, a best-selling book called "Rigged." Were you calling the
0: shots, though, Mr. President, ultimately? Uh,
3: as to whether or not I believed it was rigged? Oh, sure. I, okay. I, it was my decision.
0: Later in the interview, Trump took aim at his 2024 competition and again moved left on the abortion issue.
2: If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were
3: reelected, would you sign it at 15 weeks? Are you weeks? talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 well, weeks? Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks that seems to be a number that people are talking about right now would you sign uh, that uh, i would i would sit down with both sides and i'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace in that issue for the first time in 52 years uh, i'm not going to say i would or i wouldn't i mean de sanctus w- is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban would you support that you think I, that i goes think what too he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake New
0: polling released this morning from Reuters Ipsos shows Trump in a statistical dead heat with current President Biden in a hypothetical general election matchup.
1: Hmm. Mm. All right, want to take the first one first? Yes, sure. The implication of drilling down on the question of why Donald Trump believed the election was rigged, it seems to be related to this issue of whether or not he can use advice of counsel as a defense for some of his
0: actions uh, related to the... Uh, Georgia indictment specifically right right um, you know, I, so I think it's, I, I liked her questioning there cause it got him to, um, elaborate on like an actual point for what he means when he says the election was rigged. Mm-hmm. So he references Molly Hemingway, who's a, a, a editor of the federalist. She appears on Fox news a lot. I know her, I, I've been on with her. I know her in real life. And she she wrote this book about, uh, the, the, unfairness she saw in the 2020, um, election. I, I'm familiar with the book. So the claims I- in that book. Uh, again, many of them, I would say, do hold up in terms of, um, you know, not, like, like illegal interference, but bad behavior from uh, tech actors, mm. from the FBI. You know, the, by rigged, she's meaning the Hunter Biden laptop story and a lot of other stuff. Sure. There's a lot in there. And, you know, you can debate it. But, that like, I think that's, that's fair to say that how, you know, how intelligence officials, Forced social media platforms to handle that a way that they shouldn't have, and that was that was not fair, and that was not right. That's different from saying that, like you know, ballots were taken out of the counting right. and were not that that very illegal, fraudulent element that's not been proven is, I think, different than right. the, like well, it was unfair to me because they did things that that were not good. So that's that the, like the slipperiness of the claim there. Yeah, I mean, and there and there was a lot that you know was not. I, deal, we, I was just thinking after we played that clip of him, I, I'm still in the, okay, we have, now we have to say, but the election was not rigged, it was not stolen, because that was YouTube's policy, remember, that we mm-hmm. had to say that we got our own channel, got taken down for a while because mm-hmm. we didn't say that. But YouTube's cha- now realized that was a bad idea and has changed that policy, so we don't have to say that anymore. Yeah, so
1: what you're saying is in this book, the arguments that are made are very much akin to the arguments that Hillary Clinton made after she lost in 2016. The same kind of spoiled, game, uh, bra- uh, spoiled grapes, accounting of all the things that went wrong that a yeah. candidate feels like were outside of their control. They were that feel like they were treated unfairly, but don't actually amount to a fraud that would make someone want to make an argument. The actual election results should be overturned. So again there have been mixed views on the nature of the questioning here and whether or not this kind of a sit-down interview was useful um, to whom exactly is another part of that question. But part of the critique that I saw was that you can pin him down on X, Y, and Z, but at the end of the day, him being able to point to something, oh, I was rigged because of X, Y, Z reason when that's not what he's being indicted for making claims about um, in Georgia is a kind of a bait and switch that allows him to Acquire some credibility for those claims. Well, that really isn't the issue, or what, or what he's being yeah. held liable for.
0: Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the abortion yeah. comments. Um, you know, he's—what what he's saying there—now, that's still not how I would handle it. I would handle it the way Doug Burgum handled it at the debate, where he says, look, there's not going to be a national abortion policy because the Constitution doesn't authorize it. But anyway, it sounds like he wants to hit um, DeSantis and other Republicans for wanting um, state bans and perhaps a federal policy that is much more pro-life, that, it, you know, has the cutoff point much earlier, which is what social conservatives want. Social conservatives have obviously loved Donald Trump. He, they had a major alliance, was part of his success. It's going to be interesting to see whether what he's saying here, which is, you know, practical from a strategic, you know, win a general election standpoint, is going to alienate social conservatives because it is very much not in line with what they say they want.
1: I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think if Biden wins in 2024, it will be almost entirely because of the abortion issue. And if Trump feels it all the way that I feel about that then perhaps what we're seeing is a strategic move to get on top of that issue and really quiet the nerves of voters, including a lot of conservative-leading voters who, at the end of the day, might be willing to stay home or even vote for Biden, specifically because of this issue. We have seen in conservative or purple states in Ohio in Kansas and all over the country, when abortion is on the ballot, everybody turns out in big numbers to preserve the right to choose. Uh, Trump has always been a little bit ahead of his party in terms of reading the tea leaves on this particular issue. Um, And I know that he might be alienating himself from the social conservatives, but the question he has to answer is, are those social conservatives ultimately still going to come out and vote for him, because at least he's not Joe Biden? Are they going to stay in the fold and vote blue no matter who? And it's the real base—the real cohort of people he needs to keep in the fold, those folks who might abandon him, specifically over the issue of abortion.
0: Yeah, I I don't— necessarily disagree with that but it's going to be interesting to see how this affects him in the in the primary again his one of his most loyal base aspects were hardcore social conservatives who are absolutely pro life and want you know very early bans on abortion so who's their candidate pence right that All right. well and That's i think that. their candidate is <laughs> is Desantis, but um, but we're going to find out like a matt walsh type people i was sure. saying are you going to go off on trump for this and he, d- he was saying, like, people were already dragging him for not having said anything about it because he's perceived as being pro-Trump. So he's like, I, w- I was off for the weekend. I was, you know, having family time. No, of course I'm against this. Of course this is bad. Uh, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, we'll I'm see. very eager to see what kind of follow-ups he gets about this issue and whether his
0: answer changes at all. Yeah. Well, that's not all for us. In another sit-down this weekend, Trump surprised some viewers when Megyn Kelly pressed him on gender. Let's watch.
3: So would you be in favor of a ban, then, on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for minors? I, th- I think yes, yes, yes. Yep. I would. Can a man become a woman? Um, <laughs> in my opinion, you have a man, you have a woman. I, 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 think, I think part of it is birth. Can the man give birth? No. No, although they'll come up with some answer to that also. Someday, <laughs> I heard just the other day they have a way that now the man can give birth. No, I would say uh, uh, I'll continue my stance on that. Uh, okay.
0: He was grappling with the Matt <laughs> Walsh, uh, what is a woman question there.
3: Yeah, I love the idea that both
1: Donald uh, Trump and I saw the same article about womb transplants over the weekend. And he's like, wow, <laughs> I saw this in the New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I don't see how that answer would be especially controversial to Republicans. He ultimately gave the answer that he thinks that there's men and women and uh, yeah, science is going to do with science.
0: He was Did thinking he, about Caitlyn Jenner maybe uh, who, you know, he's invited may, to use whatever bathroom she wants. At, sure, uh, but that's
1: a very, that's a different question than he was answering. Yeah. And I didn't hear him say anything other than that there was a man and a woman and that while science may enable men, to uh, people who are born male to give birth someday, that, that doesn't seem to be really rattling his feelings about that. I, I do think that if we're in a world where Donald Trump's answer is considered to be too left-wing for Republicans, they've lost the thread, and they they have moved far to the right— Well, nothing like Donald even does bases. is too left-wing
0: for Republicans. Republicans love everything Donald Trump does. So well, it's, it's, think that's going to also be true him, for this
1: uh, abortion I, conversation.
0: I think much like the—and again, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking for, uh, you know, the social conservative people and what I know that they want. I don't I don't think that answer would be satisfying enough for them but it's never mattered with with trump uh before look we live so in a topsy turvy
1: to world where maybe donald trump is dragging the republican party to the left on anti-interventionism uh on yeah. abortion rights and joe biden is dragging the democratic party to the right <laughs> this is going to be an interesting
0: matchup if that's what it comes to in 2024 indeed well we've got lots more coming up on the show today including some great interviews and we'll have more rising in just a minute
1: Hunter Biden is coming out swinging in response to his recent legal woes. The president's son launched a lawsuit against the IRS on Monday arguing that two agents wrongfully released his tax information as they spoke with congressional investigators about a Justice Department investigation into his taxes. Biden's attorneys wrote in the suit, quote, this lawsuit is not about the legitimacy of the IRS investigation of Mr. Biden over the past five years or any decision to penalize Mr. Biden for any failure to comply with his obligations under
0: the tax laws. Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki suggested President Biden is heartbroken and worried about his son amid the legal woes. Let's Let's watch.
1: And I think on the politics of this, you know, millions of Americans have dealt with family members who have a dealt with drug addiction, who've dealt with alcohol addiction, who have dealt with a range of addiction. My bet is right now, this is a heartbroken president in the White House um, who is worried about his it son. Is. And we're all watching to see kind of what happens with this. So Andrew, I am not sure what Joe Biden being heartbroken uh, has to do with the underlying issue. The underlying issue was that there's no dispute that Hunter Biden did these crimes. He was going—he was hopeful that he was going to be able to take a plea deal that would have also insulated him from a broad range of potential criminal activities. He—because he he didn't get that broad protection, dropped the plea deal in its entirety, even though he could have still pursued it, avoiding jail time— but not avoiding culpability for other unnamed actions. And now I'm not, I'm just, I'm not, I don't, what does Joe Biden's thoughts and feelings and
0: heart have to do with any of Doesn't this? Doesn't matter at all. Look, I appreciate that Hunter Biden is trying to. I think he's trying to cater to me. He, he wants to portray himself as a libertarian <laughs> hero. He's fighting the IRS about taxes. He's, he's saying I can buy as many. I can. I don't need to buy, uh, I need a fill out these to buy, forms yes. correctly to buy a firearms. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. I want to. You know, do drugs and just leave me in peace. All things I believe. Fewer taxes. Go ahead More and buy drugs. guns, do drugs if you want, it's none of my business. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I get that. And again, all of those things are sideshows, as you pointed out, to the real issue we're trying yeah. to get at, which is the not, this is not a libertarian value or a progressive value or an anyone value to engage in alleged corruption um, that enriches yourself or uh, or your politically connected, your father, the vice president of the time, now the president, uh, or influencing that has some policy component that is not in the U, in the US interest. So that again that's yep. what we care about. That was what we were worried about the the sweetheart deal in place was going to thwart a further inquiry into that investigation, which is why the judge eyes popped when they s- understood the terms of it and it didn't go through. And and Hunter Biden was unwilling to do that deal without that immunity exactly. very very clearly. Exactly. So he's trying to make this about uh, about tax and, and yes, I, I, the IRS. I do believe is weaponized all the time against sure. uh, you know uh, poor Americans Americans who time. you know, we agree on this um, that they're much more likely to go after the little guys um, You know people who are who are working multiple jobs who are like, you know Driving uber and have a part-time job somewhere else and doing something else whose taxes are confusing if only we could make our tax system less confusing to people um, who, who they who get in who get entrapped in they this system? They know how much we
4: owe. They know they how much we owe. Just tell me. Bill.
0: Just tell me. It's it's
1: the um, H and R. It's the it's the yeah, tax it's preparers horrible. that spend so many millions horrible. of dollars lobbying Criminal. to prevent them from just making the process yeah. so much easier.
0: Preach it, sister.
1: Yeah, and to your point, <laughs> it's Humphreys County, Mississippi, which is the most heavily audited uh, county in the United yeah. States, and it's one of the poorest counties in the United States. I would hope Washington D.C.
0: would be the most are I place I agree. in the country. Now, we
1: do have a little bit of a difference of opinion on how to make that better. Yeah. Um, the argument the Democrats have been making is that hiring more auditors will allow them to have the bandwidth to do the more sophisticated kinds of audits mm-hmm. that rich people have, because they're better at hiding their taxes. And the part of the reason why there's been a shift over the last 10 years from when many more rich people were audited versus poor people, that coincides with a um, stripping of funds and, um, personnel from the IRS. I do, I'm sensitive to people who say, well, if the IRS is bad, why would we fund the IRS more and get more agents? I do think there should be some, barriers put on how many—like, quotas even put on how many people in lower-income groups versus yes, like higher-income groups should be sure. audited. But something certainly needs to be done. But to get back to this Hunter Biden lawsuit—so his allegation, as I understand it, is that in the closed-door meetings um, with Mr. Shapley and Mr. Zyler, the two IRS whistleblowers, that they, quote, um, provided unsubstantiated and selectively chosen allegations of nefarious but potentially criminal behavior. And— Gave over information that they were not supposed to have given over. Now, these were closed door conversations that were closed door in part to protect the sensitive financial information of Hunter Biden. And it also seems that the lawsuit is asking for, he's, Biden is eligible for $1,000 in statutory damages for each unauthorized disclosure and also unspecified punitive damages. So it does feel a little empty, $1,000 for disclosure. I mean, At the end of all of this, even if he's successful, this isn't about that. It does seem to be one of these kind of defensive lawsuits, um, where you're
0: trying to basically harass or pressure somebody. I mean, retaliating against whistleblowers, people who came forward, who spoke on the record about how this investigation was uh, was hamstrung by the DOJ. This is important. This is information, obviously, in the public interest. Look as a private citizen he should have he should be entitled to privacy but he's not he's he's operating this middle ground because of who his father is yeah. and i'm sorry it's in the public's interest for these whistleblowers if to to make us known of facts that they think were relevant for how this case was handled because it has bearing on the policies of the president of the united states mm-hmm. it's he's not just some guy fred if he's just some guy in, in his some guy component Fine. We don't care about the firearm charge or sure. anything else that much. He should be able to live his life. Some of the, you know, embarrassing photos of him. Yeah. In the, that's gross. Yeah. Leave him alone. But this is this is the element of this where we can't just leave him alone because we have to understand how decisions he made might have affected his father. Politically, do you think it helps Joe Biden for Hunter Biden to be bringing this lawsuit
1: and shoving this issue back into the news?
0: No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. But Hunter Biden doesn't seem to care about what is good or bad for dad politically. And say what you will about Joe Biden, but it doesn't seem like Joe Biden is putting much pressure on Hunter to play ball or do something different to make this issue go away. Um, Right? (laughs) Yeah, I I
1: agree. I mean, people were noting around the time that Hunter Biden um, chose not to take the modified plea deal that at that moment, the interest of Biden senior and Biden junior diverged. diverged. Now, we haven't seen any behavior from Biden Sr. that would suggest that he's going to at all take an adversarial position to his son. If there's any pressuring for him to take a back seat, to take a different kind of plea deal, to at least quiet this down until after the election, we haven't seen anything Publicly that would indicate that and in fact this lawsuit seems to suggest that hunter biden is very happy to continue to go on the offensive I do wonder if there's going to be a limit to how much hunter biden can kind of poke the bear Before Joe Biden out of a sense of self-preservation and in the sense I'm sure that he has that his candidacy is important to the integrity of the country and democracy and all the things the Democrats say to say well I'm gonna put that ahead of your interest as my son, I've offered you a lot of discretion and latitude, but enough is enough.
0: Yeah, That's a good point. We will wait to see if that happens, and we'll have more rising right after this.
1: A man carrying a loaded gun was arrested outside a campaign event in Los Angeles for Democratic presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Friday. According to NBC News, the LAPD apprehended and charged 44-year-old Adrian Espero for posing as a U.S. marshal. RFK Jr. was speaking at an event honoring National Hispanic Heritage Month.
0: He took to X, formerly known as Twitter, to thank those who intercepted the perpetrator, writing, quote, I'm very grateful that alert and fast-acting protectors from Gavin DeVecker and Associates spotted and detained an armed man who attempted to approach me. I'm also grateful to LAPD. For its rapid response, Kennedy Jr. also said he hopes President Biden will finally grant his request to have Secret Service protection, made a request back in July, but was, of course, denied. Uh, This is uh, very scary um, stuff to have this armed person uh, pretend to be security to try to get closer to you. That was a photo of the man, I believe, in in that post. Um, Yeah, this is very serious and scary. Um, Obviously, it would be anyway, but... I. If you were RFK Jr., you might have uh, additional rightful paranoia about assassination, given what has happened to so many members of your family. Uh- well,
1: well, apparently, this potential assassination attempt happened just two miles east of where his own father was assassinated uh, uh, back in 1968. It's crazy. The parallels are remarkable. And I, and I got to say, I was reminded of an incident that happened just a few days ago online, uh, where there was a story that got written um, uh, uh, about RFK Jr., where he was um, uh, arguing that the president of the United States should be healthy enough to make it through all four years. And in response to him saying we should be voting for a president who we can expect to complete the term, many, many, many accounts uh, responded—big words from a Kennedy— Obviously, making fun of the idea that so many of his family members have been politically assassinated, which felt, at the very least, in bad taste to, to some of us. But in light of now, this assassination attempt, you know, does it feel like something akin to—I know this is a controversial term, but something akin to stochastic terrorism for people to be on the internet making jokes about— um, the assassination of a political candidate simply because they don't agree with his beliefs.
0: Yeah, that's scary stuff. Um, so do you think it would be proper for Biden to greenlight Secret Service protection faster than the timeline? I remember we had some haggling over the exact dates of when that was supposed to take place. Um, yeah. We, I think the, the, the tweet Archie Jr. had about that was not quite accurate for when it's supposed to mm-hmm. kick in, but maybe in this case it should kick in earlier if he's had a— an actual armed assailant come up and with a plan to say, I'm part of the security detail to get in. That's, that that's takes a little it... bit of four, you know, more for planning than, you know, just a crazy person or something. And not that that's less scary, but that had the, had the, um, had the, the mind um, plan strategy to get there in using that method.
1: Yeah. So my understanding is that, Uh, major presidential, yeah, that major presidential and vice presidential candidates and their spouses get secret service protection within 120 days of a general presidential election. And I can't do math. We're obviously over a year out, um, nowhere close to 120 days. Now, Barack Obama had, uh, protection authorized for him, uh, at an earlier date, nearly nine months before voting began in the Democratic primaries for president. It was the earliest the Secret Service had ever uh, been issued as security detail to uh, a candidate. Um, They declined to provide details at the time of what prompted the elevated security for President Obama. This is reading Mm -hmm. from a contemporaneous New York Times article. But it did seem to be responsive to the historic nature of his candidacy and the idea that he was getting, as I understand it, an unprecedented number of threats to his life because of being a black man. Now, if there is similar evidence that RFK Jr. is being targeted, whether because of his beliefs or because he's a Kennedy or what have you, it does seem like issuing protection in advance might be appropriate. But it is worth noting that it seems less like RFK Jr. is being signaled out for not getting protection, and more like Obama was signaled out for getting an unprecedented uh, level of protection, at least an -hmm. earlier start date for that protection.
0: Yeah, Um, it it seems like it would be worthwhile in this case. Um, There's got to be a lot of fear, again, given everything going on in that campaign. So, uh, so it is interesting. Um, I know people are, you know, there's going to be a lot of people saying that they're out to. This was a this was a, law, a CIA or something, or this sure. was a, a, you know, a... a uh, uh, this was the government's trying to silence him or something. Obviously, there's no evidence of that, but uh, you know, people have a lot of views about who was really behind um, the Kennedy assassinations, including RFK Jr. himself. Uh, I, I can't remember quite if he said it on our show when we interviewed him, but he said it on other shows that he he thinks there was government involvement in uh, in at least the assassination of his uncle. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he said it about the assassination of his own father, mm-hmm. but uh, he does have s- suspicion and skepticism when it comes to what happened to President JFK. Which
1: also raises the question. Of whether this government detail is going to make him feel safer. Right. Um, if you do think, on some level, it was a quote-unquote inside job. Yeah, I'd let Gavin
0: De Becker and Associates keep handling it.
1: <laughs> what remind us what Gavin De DeBe- Becker and Associates?
5: I don't is. know, Gavin.
0: I think Gavin De Becker is his main financial backer. Right. I see. That's the person who gave him uh, the most money. Um, so it's a private security firm. I believe. Firm. So I don't know.
1: Okay. Yeah, they have this uh, academy protectors it yeah it does seem like a
0: yeah well he donated 4.5 million dollars to the super PAC that supports RFK Jr.'s campaign so he's the major financial backer
1: yeah it feels a little dystopian to be (laughs) backer the backer feels a little dystopian to be having to guard your investments with your own private security I mean people hire private security yeah, I'm just saying it's dystopian because you can't trust the state's police force or the yeah. the, the government's police force.
0: To do those, the aren't job. some of those uh, aren't some of those defund the police people using using secret uh, using uh, their uh, uh, private security firms? I thought that, oh, that was I'm not something right wing people made it big. Maybe like I, Corey I'm, Bush I've or something like that. that. I I am not I'm not, well, I'm not denying me, it. Let I just Google not it heard to make sure I'm not defund the um. I I yeah, it was Corey Bush. Private security, yes. Yes, I had yeah, to just dis- explain a, sad, a position dis- despite spending on private security. No,
1: that's a, it's a, it's a yeah. sad state of affairs where people feel like they can't be protected by the police for whatever reason. And I think it is a question for mm. what, how exactly you have to reform that, that sort of practice. But I'd be very interested to see what the public response is from other presidential candidates. Vivek Ramaswamy, I know, offered uh, his support and condolences on Twitter after RFK Jr. tweeted out this news. Um, but it will be interesting to see if RFK Jr.'s Um, desire for more official uh, protection is actually listened to or if there's any response from the White House uh, as a consequence of this attempt. More from that if we hear anything else and stick around for more Rising After This. Comedian Russell Brand has been accused of rape, sexual assault, and emotional abuse. Four women have alleged sexual assaults between 2006 and 2013, and others have made accusations about, quote, controlling abusive and predatory behavior, according to a years-long combined investigation by the Sunday Times and uh, the Times and Channel 4 dispatches. Brand has denied the allegations and said his relationships
4: have been consensual. I've received two extremely disturbing letters, or a letter and an email, one from a mainstream media TV company, one from a newspaper, listing a litany of extremely egregious and aggressive attacks, as well as some pretty stupid stuff, like uh, my community festival should be stopped, that I shouldn't be able to attack mainstream media narratives on this channel. But amidst this litany of astonishing rather baroque attacks are some very serious allegations that i absolutely refute These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question, is there another agenda at play?
1: Twitter CEO Elon Musk responded to this, saying, of course, they don't like competition, that they being the corporate media. But one Twitter uh, user responded to Brand's video about calling out the appearing edit between when he said, the relationship uh, relationships I had were absolutely always, and where he said consensual, writing, weird edit, wouldn't you say?
0: Hmm. Well, journalist Brian Krasenstein tweeted, Why is it that some on the right are so quick to defend Andrew Tate Russell Brand, who was accused by four women as young as 16 years old at the time of terrible things? Meanwhile, they're so quick to use proven liar Tara Reed's allegations against Joe Biden, even when she literally fled to Russia after making those allegations. Um, there's a lot there. Others are coming to Brand's defense. One person tweeted, somewhere along the way, Russell Brand woke up, became a powerful dissenting voice who no longer served their agenda. No wonder they are desperate to destroy him. If he was so guilty, there is no way he would speak out against them. He would have been compromised and continued to abide by their rules. YouTube commentator and comedian Jimmy Dore says Brand has been targeted due to his speaking out against oligarchy and big pharma. A lot to get into here. Um, It's a very long story um, that details... Number of accusations. Four main uh, accusers here, um, all anonymous uh, in this in this report. And look, we have to we should talk about this with a degree of sensitivity. You know, people should obviously feel free and empowered to call out bad and predatory behavior. And sexual assault does actually happen. Of course, um, it. it doesn't necessarily correspond to the politics. It can be someone who's abhorrent, whom you hate, who did something terrible, or it can be someone you love, who thinks is, is, a, is a voice for good. Um, that said, look, I, I think, and, and this is not this is not a criminal issue, this is just a journalistic project, um, I, I still think due process as a, not just as a actual legal precept, but a kind of way to operate and way to process um, uh, accusations like this is still a good idea. So I can only, you know, I can only do so much with um, anonymous accusations that were made, uh, describing a period of time from a from a long while ago. Um, Russell Brand has, you know, was not evasive or secretive about having a a history of drug abuse and a lot of sexual behavior. Now, of course, he's saying that there is a dispute, because he's saying it was always consensual, and these are some allegations of non-consensual behavior. Um, it, the, the point of this, that and it, you know, it, uh, without going far, they're coming after him because he's telling the truth or something. It is the case, and it's admitted in the story, that this is from the story I'm reading. All said, the, the accuser said, they felt ready to speak only after being approached by reporters. Several said they felt compelled to do so given Brand's newfound prominence as an online wellness influencer with millions of followers on YouTube and other sites. So it, it's not conspiratorial to say, well, why are they coming out now? They're, they are coming out, in fact, now. They were tracked down now because of the audience Russell Brand has at yeah. this point in time. That's true.
1: I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's really dis- Disputable. The allegations themselves seem to have been known by some people. They all seem to have occurred many years ago between the, ages, uh, between the years of 2016 and 2012-ish, which is not to say that they don't matter and that it's not relevant to bring up, or if there is some criminal penalty that these accusers are seeking, that they should, assuming the statute of limitation hasn't lapsed, be able to pursue exactly those. And I don't think anybody should stand out of the way or obstruct them finding meaningful justice. But I would, I would flip what uh, Krasenstein said on his head and, said, and say um, the Tara Reid example, just as many of us, I think, were frustrated that in the middle of the Me Too movement or at the tail end of the Me Too movement, it was very gross to see her comments disregarded out of hand because people wanted to protect Joe Biden. I similarly wouldn't jump to any conclusions defensively of Russell Brand or really one way or the other. Unlike Tara Reed, these are anonymous accusers who aren't providing anywhere near the level of detail that could be reported down that Tara Reid re- reported. So she. Specifically talked about what happened on that day. She talked about uh, she was able to come up with a a Voice recording from the 90s of her mother calling into the Larry King show Mm -hmm. talking about her assault She had corroborated it with various friends who came on the record and said yes She told me about the event long before Joe Biden ever run for president and some in some instances Contemporaneously with the alleged assault and you can do with that information what you will but there was information there I do think there is a particular risk for famous people in particular um, at being, again, I have no idea what happened here, and I hope. Yeah, that the having women, a negative interaction you know,
0: for 15 years ago. Well, coming. no, not, <laughs> e- not even
1: that. Even if there is nothing, I, I don't think that yeah. there's nothing here. I think that there's obviously something here, whether or not it raises to a criminal penalty sure. or why it's bringing brought up. A, but like, there can be literally nothing, and because you're famous, yeah, it, you can take a repus- reputational hit that a non-famous person wouldn't take, and so it makes you kind of uniquely vulnerable in this way to these kinds of accusations. So I do. I do take with a grain of salt that at this stage the accusations are anonymous. That being said, I obviously know why people stay anonymous. I obviously understand the pushback that will happen uh, and the attacks that you can get as someone who raises a sexual assault accusation. I don't wanna minimize that at all. But it is also true that on the other side of that is the vulnerability that any famous person has to any kind of accusation that anybody wants to say. And it does feel like a little bit of an uneven playing field to be making those kinds of accusations, very serious accusations from behind the cloak of anonymity. Um, Substantively, again, it does seem like There are not criminal allegations happening here. I think one of the most disturbing allegations is that, as a 31-year-old, he was in a relationship with a 16-year-old. That is the age of consent in the United Kingdom, so it doesn't seem to be a statutory rape issue, even if it sounds bad to the um, American ear. But given that he has written about these kinds of misogynistic behaviors kind of coming clean in some ways in his book—not about all of this, obviously, but about some of it. I I do wonder whose opinion this is really going to change. Those people who already liked Russell Brand I don't think are going to feel any differently given that he's disclosed that he's not proud of his past before. Those people who don't like Russell Brand because of his politics and who are frustrated that he does have an independent media platform that is influential are going to try to use this to discredit his substantive views, many of which I agree with, some of which, many of which I don't agree with. And that does feel sort of perverse. Mm-hmm.
0: I, but I don't I don't really know what to do with this or whether or not this is going to move the needle at all for folks. Yeah, and look, these are—I uh, mean, there's a lot alleged in here. Again, some of it is alleging some non-consensual behavior, violent sexual behavior. Um, again, some of this is operating in a kind of gray area of— uh, I mean, th- he's described here as controlling, as— manipulative, as verbally abusive, you know, these are, again, these are, that, that could be a wide range of things, yeah. um, that's, you know, these are, and these are detailing memories from a very long time ago, this is, in, in the case of the 16-year-old, and maybe this yeah. isn't acquitting. this is, this is a 16-year-old, yeah. um, I, you know, can't remember how I felt about people at that time, um. But the,
1: the things that you mentioned, I mean, there's one category of complaint that is sexual assault, and to me, you know, I, I would, I would hope, that to the extent that there's not a statute of limitation lapse, that there's if there's a real there there, mm-hmm. criminal there needs to be criminal investigations and, it, and they should pursue that. But that's not about the public right. and, and subjective the, feelings about and all and just, of it. You
0: know, just to be totally fair, the sixteen year old, you know, w- was in a claims that she was in a in a relationship with Russell Brand. They were seeing each other for some period of time, and she ended it after he found her uh, after she found him with another woman. Not not be like she didn't break it off after some right. Sexually abusive I mean maybe abusive in terms of relationship again, we're using sure, what, I, what I was gonna, I was terms, gonna
1: say yeah. is that okay, so you put the sexual assaults in one category yeah. which absolutely should be pursued criminally if that's what happened and if they can prove that and there's this other category of things which I'm gonna call kind of like the Jonah Hill Aziz Ansari complaint, yeah. which is that he was Impolite he was a bad guy. He was not sensitive Uh, He was manipulative, he was rude, maybe even abusive. But there was this other question of why this is a matter of public concern. And I don't want to—so the the main controversy, we should just speak it out loud, over a lot of this is division in the response to it, whereas very quickly a lot of the media channels that are aligned with um, Russell Brand, either professionally because they are all under the same kind of rumble contract, or interpersonally or because they share similar views, have taken the line that this is a coordinated attack on an independent media figure. It's very similar to what they did to Julian Assange and people shouldn't fall for it. And, you know, people are struggling with that because it does seem like, to some, a knee-jerk response that won't even acknowledge for a second that it could be that the underlying things are true, the underlying uh, complaints are true. It could be both. It could be the fact. It could be that Russell Brand behaved in ways that many folks find to be morally reprehensible, perhaps, perhaps even legally culpable, and also that those claims are being brought up at this time to sideline him as an influential media figure. And if you believe that both of those things could be true, again, I'm not exactly sure what you do with that.
0: Right. But it, I don't know that they're. So we don't know if they're legally culpable whatsoever. We yeah. don't know if, again, a statute, sure. if, if the underlying action is actually legally culpable. And maybe, or they they could be, but so much time has elapsed. And again, the time is relevant because it, it is true they are coming forward now. They are being organized now because Russell Brand, is, his perspective, is an enemy of the mainstream perspective. But you're, you're right; it could, it could all be true, but it doesn't. It doesn't change the fact that there. And that, this is what I think is grading to be. You, you brought up the Tara Reid example, which is a good, which is to me is a good example. Not because I thought. She, like, deserved to automatically be believed or something. In, in fact, and, and while you mentioned some of the corroborating elements of it, it was an accusation from a very long time ago that, frankly, if I was inclined— I was not going to vote for Joe Biden, but if I was inclined to vote for Joe Biden, it wouldn't have changed my mm-hmm. my calc. If I was going to vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, I wouldn't have changed my mind based on that either. I, I don't know how to—I I think it's a little—the the burden is on you to establish, even not even just in the criminal context, but in the persuade the public for my perspective, you have to have the overwhelming evidence, not just not. Which is not to say we should be disrespectful or discount. I, I hear you, I see you, but I don't know how I can overturn my kind of supposition of innocence based on what I'm saying. And I thought the same in those cases, but what was egregious about Biden's own standard was in line yeah. with what um, feminist activists around me too had said, which is that not just that the accusers should be greeted, should be treated respectfully, they should absolutely be treated respectfully, but they, they deserved. Automatic belief that they're telling the truth, which is just not which is obviously not a plausible yeah. way to organize one's life and one's reaction to hearing things
1: Yeah, I hear that and also for me the biden example was different because for one the hypocrisy based on his own personal standards Two, the fact that he deployed literal architects of the me too movement like Alyssa Milano right. to run cover for right. him She started a podcast and had Joe Biden on the first episode of her the podcast like weeks after the tar Reid accusations came to, the, to, to light, to just rehabilitate him. That's the purpose of Me Too, to rehabilitate someone who's been credibly accused of sexual assault. Meanwhile, at the beginning of his campaign, Biden was accused by, I believe, six, uh, eight women for various kinds of sexual misconduct. At the time, his own vice president said that she believed him. And when all these allegations came out, it wasn't a done deal that he was the nominee. It was at the end of the primary. And to so the media's complicity in not looking into those allegations—not even looking into the allegations, not automatically believing, Tara, I agree, you have to vet all kinds of claims—but not even looking into it seemed to be an effort to protect him politically in a way that was diametrically opposed to their stated values on sexual assault. In the Julian Assange case, I would agree with you that whatever—you know, his the reporting value of his leaks has nothing to do with whatever he did in his personal life. Um, and I think that people can make the same argument about Russell Brand if they find his content to be valuable, that they can hold in their brain. Yes, I don't like how he's treated women in the past. I don't like how he's admitted to have treated women in the past, and also new allegations that he has not admitted to at the same time that I think he's providing a valuable service that I'm going to continue um, to consume. But I also would like, I think, some of those media figures who are very invested in Russell Brand for his value to the media space to at least take, a, take some time to acknowledge the substance of these a- accusations and at least try to parse and vet them, um, as opposed to just knee-jerk jumping to, we don't care about this because we also value what he does professionally.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, it. And so, so I wrote a lot um, about um, campus uh, sexual misconduct adjudication and due process, uh, the standards of which Under the Obama years, got, in my view, increasingly um, regressive, increasingly unfair to people who were accused of things. Uh, Routinely, the the hearings on campuses under Title IX, under federal guidance, um, lacked any of the components of. Due process of mm-hmm. there was no ability to confront the person accusing you to even know the, see the evidence against you to even know what the charges were. Mm-hmm. People were accused of things where so they didn't even know mm-hmm. what they were talking about, and they were so bad. Um, and and but the, and that standard again, that was the Obama administration put that standard in place, and then it was undone by the Trump administration, and now it's sort of informally back in under Biden. Biden came back in and put in these exact same rules, despite again him being accused. And I don't again I, I don't I'm not I don't think any, the accusation should have disrailed him because just accusations, you deserve—there needs to be evidence, there needs to be vetting exactly the things you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I first kind of attracted national attention when I wrote about the Rolling Stone, UVA gang sexual assault story, which was an infamous example of a false accusation um, Jackie, the student in question, accused. These people. She was on a date with this guy. She said she was lured to an upstairs room and was gang sexually assaulted by the fraternity. We now know um, she made that up. That she she actually so. From the author's perspective, she knew the person, the, the student. She was on a date with him. And the author of this story never asked for, even if you're going to print it, you're not going to say who it is in print. Well, who is it so I can verify that that person exists? He didn't exist. She mm. impersonated him and sent text messages to her friends pretending to be him. It was a, it was an unusual level of deception, sure, honestly. Of um, but that story was back in the news this week because Yan Winner, uh, who is the the publisher, the founder of Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. I don't think he owns it anymore, but he was just interviewed for the New York Times yeah. about... Um, about This book he has of interviews with famous people, Mick Jagger, Bruce Springsteen. Famous rock stars. Yeah, Yeah. where uh, where he gets asked about the UVA story. And he says, you know, the UVA story was not a failure of intent or an attempt to be loose with the facts. You get beyond the factual errors that sank the story. It was really about the issue of rape, how it affects women on campus. Other than this one key fact that the rape (laughs) described actually was a fabrication of this woman, the rest of the story was bulletproof.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that guy is not winning this week. The other big news item from that interview was that he said that uh, he interviewed only uh, white men and the... Kind of history of rock and roll. Uh, and uh, when asked about it, he says, well, people, other artists other than white men weren't intellectually. Uh, articulate enough, I think he said, uh, to, be, to warrant a sit-down
0: interview, which... I didn't even know he dug himself into the hole that way. <laughs> he also said that um, he allowed some of the subjects to edit the interviews after he did them, because these are not confrontational interviews. Real Real, real, real surprising journalism. that that standard is what got you the UVA story. <laughs> let me, yeah, let me, let me
1: quote him exactly. He said, black and female artists couldn't articulate at the same level as white male musicians in his book.
4: Oh. As someone that? who
1: just w- took a trip to Cleveland and went to the Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame for the first time, i got to sure. say, you're leaving out a lot of really amazing artists, uh, creatives, a lot of
0: wonderful, wonderful musicians. He didn't give black people the opportunity to write their own hagiographies right. well, Literally <laughs> the
1: people who invented rock and roll, but never mind, you won't go down that
0: path. Uh, well, we'll continue to uh, follow any updates yeah. on the Russell Brand situation. We'd also love to have him on the show to talk about this or other things uh, more rising right after this. Comedian Hasan Minhaj, known for using his experience as an Asian American and a Muslim American in his comedy acts, has admitted to lying. Minaj said in a profile in the New Yorker that he uses emotional truth and hyperbole to make his jokes work, but now has revealed many of these stories didn't actually happen to him, but rather happened to people he knows.
1: Hmm. Telling the New Yorker, uh, Minaj said, every story in my style is built around a seed of truth. My comedy Arnold Palmer is 70% emotional truth, this happened, and then 30% hyperbole, exaggeration.
0: Fiction. So, this is a pretty thorough debunking of the stories he's told um, in his Netflix specials. Um, there was uh, one where he talks about a, a supposed informant who infiltrates the mosque community he's a part of. Mm-hmm. He made up this character. He gave him a name, uh, the name of a real informant, but it had nothing to do with their community. Um, he made up that uh, he got sent an envelope full of uh, anthrax, I believe, or mm-hmm. some kind of powder that necessitated an emergency room visit and a police involvement. That didn't happen. Also, that he was. Um, that it, uh, while the the Khashoggi um, murder was happening, that he was there and uh, and well, he was uh, the there timeline uh, in uh, in uh, in the country uh, that was in, happening In Saudi Arabia. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and he wasn't. But he, so um, he he was at the Saudi embassy as it was happening. He was at the Saudi embassy, Sorry, but it was a embassy. month later. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there was a look. Comedians tell stories that like you're not presumed to be true so that would not be necessarily a problem but i I think he straddles this line between like a comedian and like an autobiographical truth teller who's trying to say something about the muslim experience um that now rings false not not just to me but even to like mainstream liberal publications are covering this like Mm -hmm. it is something of a journalistic faux pas
1: what provoked the Transparency here because it doesn't seem I mean I take I take the point that comedians embellish mm-hmm. I do think that he is doing something other than straight comedy With his stand-up, I mean, he's very politically themed his stand-up show the Patriot Act He does take on the mean of a journalist and he is up for the job of taking over uh, the Daily Show from Trevor, Trevor Noah, Noah, which again is not also straight journalism, but does deal in news and yeah, one you would expect, expect, the expect things some reliability. being said
0: on that show to be right. accurate.
1: And the line between like a comic skit which happens on those late night shows and the news seems yeah. pretty yeah. clear. Now, autobiographical details aren't exactly news. But it, there is something that seems a little misleading about it, given that part of why we invested in him as a character on the stage is because we genuinely sympathized with things that he went through, not just things that other Muslims in America did in fact go through. And why not then just talk about the experiences of others if it is being cribbed from real life? Why the need to personalize it except for, right. you know, wanting to kind of puff yourself up in a way that seems a little exploitative?
0: Yeah, and, and I mean he's been put forth as a representative, as an example, as a victim of the kind of like in this 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 profile of him that, that calls out these details. Quotes Trevor Noah talking about him and saying we need Hassan's voice since Donald Trump came down that golden escalator yeah. and turned immigrants and Muslims into his targets. Um, you know that he's a consistent reminder that Hassan is America and America is Hassan. Yeah, I mean if you're in that role, that that, that does. You do have to have a greater level of honesty about what's going on. So it seems like people um, came forward, and, and or this writer, in the course of profiling Hassan, found out that, that you know people who were referenced or had knowledge of some of these events, it did said it didn't hadn't gone like that. And then when asked about it, Hassan. Is, is totally honest and transparent about it and, and is is saying, Oh yeah, yeah, it's like he said in the in the quote, it's seventy percent real. It happened to real people, but it's combinations, it's composite yeah. didn't necessarily happen to me. And that's so he doesn't sound like he he's not behaving like someone who's caught doing something wrong no. he's saying that no you're you're applying Maybe he hasn't
1: like I'm just I'm processing this still I'm reminded of a scandal that happened I don't know 10 15 years ago with an author named James Frey he wrote a book oh yeah a, a million, million little, little pieces, pieces. Oh, I remember that Oprah chose it as part of her book club it did very well it was very acclaimed and the subject of the book was the main character's struggle with addiction. And it was Made up. described as autobiographical. And it was, it's a brutal book. I mean, I think at some point he loses all of his teeth in like a fight, and it's bloody, and it's very difficult to read. And you really do have another level of empathy, I think, for what has happened when you think it's, it's real and not just fiction. Now, once it came out that it was fabricated, people turned on James Frey, people turned on the book. It was perceived as a betrayal. I think Oprah did a follow-up, characterizing it as a betrayal of sorts. And I remember at the time having read the book thinking, yeah, I mean, that is a misrepresentation, but honestly, I liked the book. I still value the book and I wouldn't have really made any kind of different decision as to whether to read the book or enjoy the book or rate the book differently based on what I know now. And I think I'm kind of landing that in that place with Hasan Minaj. it feels a little, manipulative and, frankly, kind of unnecessary, but at the end of the day, I do think that there is a pretty significant latitude that comedians get in terms of embellishment, and the only thing that troubles me here is that we have been living in a time when people's perception of how much um, Islamophobia there is or how many hate crimes happen, et cetera, are germane to whether they support various policies to redress those ills. And this does put, I think, Muslim Americans in a difficult situation if people are going to take from this, oh, this was all fake, as opposed to, oh, it happened, just not to him. I don't want this to be used to undermine the legitimate concerns that people have about a lot of the Islamophobia that existed, very much so, especially after 9-11. Um, and so it, it feels a little, like, destructive to the broader mm-hmm. political goals that he supports, but I don't know how much I care about it as, as, in terms of my view of him as an individual or as an artist.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it probably will be harmful to that project. Look, if if you're making, I mean, you, I, I think there should be a burden to be honest and truthful in a journalism or journalism adjacent role. Again, stand-up comedy is one thing. We know that's, you know, that, you know, people complaining about their, their spouses or their kids or the, you know, yeah. the, 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 they're they're telling jokes. It's that's different. Um, what he was doing as obviously than that you the james Frey example i, I mean i he should have been honest that that was not he should not have written that book claiming that happened to him he definitely should is it the it's not the worst crime ever committed no. in his i don't say she should go to jail but yeah i would definitely i definitely think less of him as a Content create as a as a producer of a narrative story that he claimed it happened to him when he didn't I absolutely know, I authors
1: content it. creators now
0: <laughs> uh, I, I, was just, I was just doing the broadest <laughs> category possible yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Don't you what what you think of us as I think of us as we're bards. We're storytellers, you know we, we <laughs> Do a little mandolin and do some juggling to amuse. Yeah, the, we're, uh, we're the, the, the real novelist Yeah, yeah, I mean the, so I, I'm looking
1: at this now and it does seem like most of these anecdotes They happened in the context of stand-up not in the context of his more political or newsy commentary, which I do also think is an argument in defense of Mm -hmm. him. Um, One of the anecdotes was about having to take his child to the hospital after, I think you mentioned this, being exposed to anthrax, and that does feel a little like oh, no, obviously I would feel deep sympathy for a parent whose child was exposed to an anthrax in real life versus just anecdotally in a stand-up. But am I supposed to be taking... Is the, is the problem, really, that the audience is reading too literally into anybody's stand-up routine. Do I really think that Dave Chappelle got into a fist fight with a lesbian woman at a bar because he hit on her girlfriend? Like, Right. No. N- no. I, I kind of expect... I, I hope <laughs> that a lot of what is said on these routines is hyperbole at the least and sometimes outright fabrication you you hear a friend tell a story I was just saying this to a friend I was hanging out with over the weekend you tell such amazing anecdotes from your own life and if you don't write your novel I'm gonna have to write about you because it's just so funny I mean people do do exactly that kind of borrowing and the fact that he seems not to have revealed this like oh I was caught but to reveal this very voluntarily like oh yeah of course suggesting me that maybe this isn't a gotcha it's just a revelation. It's being
0: treated like a gotcha by a lot of people who I would think otherwise would really like uh, Hassan Minaj. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I actually, I saw it on CNN. They were talking about it uh, randomly the other day. Um, Maybe this
1: is a conspiracy. Maybe his, uh, whoever he's in the race for to take over the Daily Show is leaking oh, out OPPO research. Who would that be? I don't, <laughs> I don't even, even I don't even know. It's, it's a tough crowd. And I do think he would do a good job subjectively. Mm. I have been a fan. a fan. I've seen him live. I thought, I think he's a very funny and charming
0: Chicken didn't actually cross the road. That's what we're finding out here. Shocking. More rising right after this. The Libertarian National Committee is filing for conservatorship over President Joe Biden and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Now, they insist it's not political theater, but a genuine concern that both men, octogenarians with evident declines, perhaps in mental acuity, present a threat to the country's national security. In a post on X, formerly known as
1: Twitter, the committee wrote, quote, We're all aware of the gaffes, the lapses in memory, the freezes, and the incoherent statements made by these two powerful men. These aren't mere quirks, they're red flags, have far-reaching implications affecting both domestic policy and international relations. If the individuals making these decisions aren't at their cognitive best, the consequences could be dire. Here to discuss this development in detail is Angela McArdle, the current chair of the Libertarian National Committee. Welcome, Angela.
2: Hey there, thanks for having me.
1: All right, so walk us through legally what is actually possible here. For those who might think this is just political theater, theater, is there a path toward actually putting these two men in a conservatorship? Uh, Technically, yes. In
2: in Washington, D.C., a corporation or, or an entity can file for conservatorship over an individual. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not a political party is able to do that, but we are incorporated in D.C., and so we're here to try. We're going to give it a shot.
0: And, you know, ultimately, to the extent this is, you know, going to ca- calling attention hopefully to, uh, yeah. you know, from your perspective to the Libertarian Party and what it stands for and the fact... That we are ruled—that this is a bipartisan problem—that very out-of-touch elderly people um, are making important decisions in in both parties. Right, the age question is is not just a question of Joe Biden, but of so many people in office in 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 both parties. So are you hoping to call attention to that?
2: Absolutely. Mitch McConnell is actually a year older than Joe Biden, and. Uh, this is definitely an issue in both parties. This is not just Democrats, although uh, there seem to be more high-profile Democrats who are suffering from this problem. But, you know, geriatric elites are on both sides of the aisles, and it really does need to stop. We need to have competent people in Washington, D.C., people who are not suffering from strokes, people who do not exhibit signs of dementia, people who don't have, like, power of attorney over them by their children, for example, with Diane Feinstein— like, this is really out of control. So we're hoping that we rein this in and send a really strong message to to both major parties to cut this out, put in people who who are competent to stay home alone all day. That that's what's really wild is it doesn't seem like Joe Biden or Mitch McConnell would be left alone at home, but they're both in charge of managing our finances and making major decisions for our country. That's just totally wild and unacceptable to me.
1: Angela, I completely agree with you that there does seem to be a kind of gerontocracy crisis happening in the United States on both sides of the aisle. I am curious whether or not putting individuals into conservatorships is at all in conflict with kind of bedrock values of the Libertarian Party and kind of freedom of movement, freedom of association, free to take certain kinds of jobs. I mean, how do you wrestle with that?
2: This is a defensive maneuver. I mean, these people have robbed us blind. They've taken our tax dollars. They locked us down. They've got us in an unwinnable war overseas in Ukraine, uh, at least financially for now. And at a certain point, like you have to be able to defend yourself. And so to me, this is not an aggressive move. This is purely a move of, of defense. And uh, there's a specific reason that I went with conservatorship, not guardianship. We're not looking to lock Joe Biden or Mitch McConnell up like Britney Spears. We just are saying hands off of our taxpayer dollars, Um, The whole Burisma holding things, too, you know, that might be an interesting uh, thing to play out here. Just hands off the finances. Please sit back and let someone who's fiscally responsible take control of the reins for a little while, and, and maybe your family or someone else can help you get your life in order.
1: So walk me through, I'm sorry, just the difference between a conservatorship and a guardianship? Certainly. A guardianship controls
2: your medical decisions and your day-to-day life, essentially. That's where people can get literally locked up. Conservatorship is strictly for finances.
0: Mm. And, you know, one of the issues you mentioned there, the Ukraine war, is in fact something that, you know, for all our perceived differences between the two parties, and they're at each other's throats, and there's so much disagreement on the funding of the Ukraine war, Mitch McConnell has backed up and support, and many Republicans have, to be clear, but, you know, Mitch McConnell, chief among them, in supporting the agenda of the Democratic president, Joe Biden, for, uh, you know, for U.S. taxpayer dollars going to, uh, to funding the Ukrainian defense. For you know, as long as it takes, both have signaled that this is one of the one of, if not the chief uh, policy aim um, of of government. Uh, you know, when, in terms of, do you think that do you think that's where the American people are on both the, on either the Democratic or Republican side?
2: I think it's grossly financially irresponsible, and I don't think that people want the United States to be funding that war. Uh, I'm sure that there are people on both sides who, who agree with that. You've, you've got neocons on the right and you know, whatever this new weird blend of, of Democrat is on the left. But I think the average working class American does not want this happening. People are concerned with inflation. They're concerned with buying food, the cost of automobiles, uh, you know, what's going on in their daily lives. They would probably rather see money going towards, you know, their own pocketbooks if the government has to spend it, not going overseas. And obviously, as a libertarian, i prefer my money just stay in my own pocket.
0: So, here's a question I have for you. We talk a lot about third parties on the show. We've been discussing uh, Cornell West, the potential Green Party candidate, and how that will affect uh, a, a general election between, presumably, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, although it could, of course, be other people. Uh, the Libertarian Party is the third-largest party in America. Um, my under, uh, I think our—and I'm—you I'm, uh, know, disclosure for the audience, I'm a voting member of the Libertarian Party. I usually vote for the Libertarian candidate. In fact, always vote for the Libertarian candidate. Um, I haven't heard very much about who might be we are our candidates yet. We don't have like a Cornell West type figure, right? Like who's declare who's you know well known nationally, has already declared he's going to seek it. I don't think, but you can connect, uh, Correct me if I if I'm wrong on that. Um, you know, what is your thinking of the role that the Libertarian Party might play in a general election? You know, we're hearing a lot of spoiler accusations mm-hmm. against the Green Party. I'm sure the Libertarian Party is going to come in for some of that as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a a new candidate who announced recently, uh, Michael Rechtenwald, a former NYU professor and a Mises Institute fellow. So you can add him to the list, you know, that that we're already aware. Chase Oliver, Mike Tremont and Lars Mapstead had announced, along with several others. Um, So that's probably going to be one of the, the biggest names that we have, although... I intend to or I anticipate that more candidates are going to announce by the time January rolls around. I'm sure that we'll get yelled uh, uh, and, you know, called spoiler and and all of that from the GOP. And I agree it is outrageous that Republicans run these other candidates and spoil the election for us. (laughs) Uh, so, So to that extent. I feel their frustration, you know, but we're all adults here. Uh, I'm not necessarily looking to spoil the the presidential race for them. I'm looking to do my own thing, uh, run a a strong campaign, uh, support whoever the candidate is, make sure that they do a good job of supporting um, down-ticket candidates. I will be looking to spoil the races of... um, Mitch McConnell, when he does eventually come back up for re-election, if he so chooses, and any other Warhawk candidates. We've announced, speaking of third parties, we're going to be working with a handful of other third parties on something called Operation Warhawk removal. And we will be targeting the worst Warhawks during their primary season.
1: I, I will say that the um, war issue is probably the one— that Robbie and I have the most empathic on, and I think the right and the left libertarians and Greens have the most empathic on. I, I can't help but hear a little bit of an echo of the rationale that is used for getting involved in various military interventions, in your characterization of this conservatorship, that it's a defensive move? How many times have we heard the United States saying that we have to do something because otherwise Putin is going to take over Europe, or otherwise democracy is going to be imperiled all over the globe, saying that, basically, he made me do it? What would you say to those who have a criticism of your choice to pursue a a conservatorship over these elder statesmen um, when you would push back, I would presume, against that kind of excuse-making when it comes to, to foreign wars? I have a really hard time understanding the analogy
2: between filing for a conservatorship over a Democratic president who has locked us down, spent our tax dollars. Uh, we've, we've had political prisoners in jail over the last four years, it, I really struggle to see how that would be anything like uh, waging an offensive war overseas. Um, well, the, the
1: dispute, Angela, isn't that Joe Biden hasn't done bad things we both disagree with. The question is whether or not he should be gotten out of office through democratic means as opposed to putting him in a conservatorship. And when I asked you to tease out how that conflicts with libertarian values, namely freedom, you said, well, we're in a defensive position and made a statement that I think largely could be characterized as he's made us do it, which is the same kind of excuse making that happens over and over again when it comes to foreign interventions. So obviously, don't strong buy into a conservatorship is not the same thing as starting a war. But how do you wrestle with the those who might say, this is not the right way to go about getting this guy out of office?
2: Oh, we're not getting him out of office. He can sit and squat in offices you know, until his term is up.
1: We're asking then, him to so stop then what spending the, gobs what, of money. What effect would the conservatorship have on his ability to do his job? or financial to Or to limit his bad behaviors, I guess, was the more important question. Certainly. Certainly. It would
2: limit his ability to make terrible financial decisions. Hmm. Like what? What do you mean by that? You mean, I mean spending the United States tax dollars, signing bad bills into office, overseeing financial elements of the presidency. We're not looking to impeach him and, and have that level of political theater. We'll leave that up to Kevin McCarthy.
1: So he would be then—you're focused on his ability to tax and spend, less so his ability to provoke—escalate uh, a war in Ukraine or proxy war with Russia or anything else. Uh, any any other kind of non-financial presidential actions? There are certainly
2: financial elements to going to war overseas, and that's what we're going to be looking to reduce and, and limit the scope of his ability to do that.
1: Well, that does seem like it's been a significant, very broad restraint on his powers, which then I think still raises the question as to whether or not this is the most democratic and kind of individual freedom-respecting way to go about Doing something like this to literally constrain the power of an individual, as opposed to simply voting them out of office or using democratic,
0: I, yeah. Efforts. I guess what Brianna's saying, I guess we, I would be afraid that the CIA could do the same thing. I mean, anybody could do it. To anybody over him to and force him to continue funding the war.
2: What are we ha- watching happen with Donald Trump right now? Uh, that's uh, deep state operatives are wielding criminal, ac- you know, accusations against a political opponent. Uh, so here we are approaching it through uh, through a civil matter. Uh, we're not saying anyone's guilty of this or that. We're not trying to lock anyone up. We're just saying hands off the money. Like it's, right. it's a little too far. Also, no one seems to have addressed so far the very real concern that this man is mentally incompetent. He wanders off stage. He tries to shake hands with no one. Uh, he stumbles over his – it's not stumbling over his words. He like mutters incoherent things. He's not fit to be – the President of the United States. Mm. Angela McArdle? He's He's not mentally okay.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Turks' Jake Uber, is out with a new book entitled Justice is Coming, How Progressives Are Going to Take Over the Country, and America is going to love it. I don't know if I'm going to love it, but apparently America will.
1: <laughs> the book argues two main ideas. One, that progressives are correct on, substantively, these kind of policy issues. And two, America is actually a very progressive country. Millions of us know that we are part of something larger and that a movement is already transforming Washington. Jake is here with us now to discuss.
5: Welcome. Thank you guys. Great to be here.
1: So, this was part of the Bernie 2020 pitch, obviously, that there's a genuine populist uh, movement that just needs to be tapped into in the United States. And there were many aspects of that campaign that seemed to validate that reality, the fact that he uh, unfundraised—out-fundraised, rather, everybody else in the race, uh, despite not taking any corporate PAC money or billionaire dollars, but at the end of the day seemed to uh, unable—seemed unable to squeak one out, both in 2016 and 2020. So what do you say to folks who push back against the idea that progressivism is actually popular, given that we have not had very much success in the electoral realm?
5: Yeah so a decent amount of the book is actually dedicated that first chapter one explains that it's indisputable that the country's progressive on almost every issue i say almost just because maybe i couldn't find one but it every issue i looked at the country's about two thirds progressive and so you that might be shocking to people who are used to mainstream media because why don't we win because of mainstream media mainstream media creates a mythology that this is a center right country a conservative country it creates a mythology that corruption is perfectly normal that uh, taking corporate bribes is uh... normal it's not normal it's what most corporate democrats and corporate republicans do it has greatly corrupted our system and most importantly it has corrupted our media the reason why i say it's most important is because that is where the voters get their information if they get the wrong information there's no way in the world they can make the right decision and corporate media mainstream media has been lying to them for decade after decade after decade once we get past that monster uh... then progressives will easily win because the entire country at least on economic issues for sure is progressive
0: yeah i, I think uh... look I, I think there's i have to admit as someone who doesn't agree with um a lot of what progressives have to offer in economics, although I'm sure we can find areas of agreement. Um, sure, the, the economic agenda being offered by the left is, uh, I, you know, I read polls too, Regardless of what I think about it, is more is certainly more popular than um, you know what I would describe as the kind of elite social and cultural values that are not necessarily attached to policies, but are very hugely alienating to so many uh, normal Americans. That you know the issues beloved by by the elites. So how does how do you how do progressives? Get through then, or you know, stop, or you know, stop, stop allowing college professors to speak on their behalf, or or you know, the the woke employees at institutions that want to cancel everyone, that sort of thing that gets associated with progressivism and gives the whole project a bad name.
5: Yeah, so there's a couple of issues there, Robbie. Uh, number one. Uh, s- Corporate media, both, and when I say corporate media, that has the umbrella of what we consider mainstream media like CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, NPR, etc. And right-wing media, they're both under corporate media. And so NPR might seem like an odd fit there, but it has the same exact groupthink as the rest of them do. And, uh, And corporate media loves it when we engage in the culture wars. Go extreme left, go extreme right, tear each other to pieces, and don't look up because the real people in power are above you. It's not the immigrant that came in with no, without a dollar in his pocket just crossed the border. He has no power at all. It isn't the LGBTQ person competing in sports in high school. That's not the issue in America. But it works brilliantly in tearing us apart. Where, uh, But the second part of it is a little bit true, Robbie, which is that some portions of the left have totally fallen into into that trap, in my opinion, and are engaging in not only those culture wars, but only those culture wars. Brother, I need you to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time so we can fight back against the right wing on those social issues. And and at the Young Turks, we aggressively do that. But at the same time, I need you to focus on what unites us economically. Otherwise, we'll never be able to beat the people up top.
1: Uh, I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, recently, I'm sure you're aware there was some controversy among the left uh, because people uh Podcast host uh, and comedian Jimmy Dore recently made a sort of argument like this to Cornel West, arguing that he was overemphasizing um, resistance to white supremacy, uh, at least in his rhetoric, if not in his campaign. And he was pushing him to focus more exclusively on economic issues. How do you see that trade off? And do you think that there needs to be a kind of hierarchy of things like economics over racial or social issues, or in the case of uh, the argument that Jimmy Dore was making, a focus on COVID and being anti-mandate and anti-moratorium over something like the fight against white supremacy?
5: Yeah. So uh, this gets super nuanced. So let me walk through all of it as quickly as I can. First, uh, the number one problem with uh, Jimmy Dore's approach is he goes and mainly agrees with the right wing on social issues, and then says, "Oh, like, like I'm not going to agree that the vaccine doesn't work. Sorry, I'm not going to agree to things that aren't true. I'm not going to agree that the election was stolen. I'm not saying that Jimmy's saying that I, I have lost track of what the, the r- crazy ramblings in his head or what he says out loud. Uh, but he keeps bringing, trying to bring the left over to the right wing. That's not how you do it. You say, look, it's not that you guys are moving your position or that we're moving our position. It's just that we're finding common ground in, this, in the places where we agree. Both of us can take yes for an answer. But you should not sheep herd your audience to the right wing. That is not at all productive. Now, in terms of hierarchies, like I said earlier, you don't need a hierarchy. Why do we have to debate and vote on is this social issue more important or is this economic issue more important? It's not that hard to do both. It's not. So when they pass laws against uh trans people, gay people, etc., in these states, when they pass the law saying we shouldn't teach real African American history in Florida, you could fight back against that. And at the same time, hey, go hey, Republicans, you know that three-quarters of you agree with us on paid family leave. We'll take yes for an answer. Come on, let's go do paid family leave together. Let's make sure that moms and dads have 12 weeks off after they deliver a baby. And and so There's no reason in the world you can't do both. And and once you get into hierarchies and prioritizing, that starts internal wars. Oh, you think class is more important than race? Oh, you think race is more important than class? And then all you're doing is fighting when you cannot win on economic issues unless you unite against the establishment. They're the ones that are actually in charge.
1: Speaking of uh, sheep herding, there are some who are over the idea of working within the Democratic Party, who see the obstacles to actually winning as insurmountable, after Bernie Sanders, who was well—better positioned than probably any candidate the left is going to have in generations, was thwarted the way—he was thwarted by the Democratic Party, and now people are seeing the way the DNC is ostensibly rigging the election in various ways, not having any debates, saying that there will be no primary, changing the order of the primary contest, um, etc., cetera, uh, in a way that makes it very difficult for insurgent candidates like Mary Williamson and RFK Jr. to advance in the polls. As a consequence of all of that, many people on the left are saying, I'm over—participating uh, in the Democratic Party entirely, are looking to uh, third-party campaigns like uh, Dr. Cornell West's campaign, and see those who— Would want folks to participate in any kind of electoral context within the Democratic Party as doing exactly that, as as sheep herding. Uh, Especially when some of the people who might encourage one to vote for a Democrat ultimately in 2020 or 2016 and probably in 2024 are going to say at the end of the day, you should vote to defeat Trump and vote for the Democrat, even if they don't reflect the progressive values that you've said, and I agree, are so popular. What do you make of that argument?
5: So I think that uh, rationality dictates that you have to understand the distinction between primaries and general elections. So uh, the establishment says you shouldn't have primaries, especially on the Democratic side. You should just bow your head. Whoever's in charge, they get to dictate who should be the leader. And you progressives are rascals. You're so unruly. You must obey, right? If you listen to that, you're nuts. That is them totally brainwashing you. There should be a massive primary against Joe Biden. Uh, Poll out today 72% of Americans think that he is not mentally capable of running again, that he's too old. 72%. And the lunatics in the Democratic Party and the lunatics in Washington go, yeah, we should run a guy that 72% of the country doesn't think could be president. Against Donald Trump, they say this is the most important election of our lifetimes. But let's run an adult, wounded antelope against this demagogue fascist. How does that make sense? That doesn't make any sense at all. There's just their lust and their greed for power is unbearable. So that's the primaries, and in the primaries, Marianne is at this point clearly the best candidate. It's not even close. Okay, but as you see there, there's one thing I wanted to quickly correct. Because, in my opinion, I don't think the Democratic Party has much power at all. So they set the debates, they set this, they set that. I understand that, but they don't rig votes. They just set all the context. And I hate the rules that they set, and I think they're deeply corrupt. But that's not the number one problem. The number one problem is media. If Marianne Williamson got the same amount of respect and coverage in the media as uh, Joe Biden did, Donald Trump, oh, Vivek Ramaswamy gets, then Marianne would be in a real context uh, contest with Joe Biden but the media freezes her out shames uh, anyone who supports oh she's not serious like you morons are serious you've ruined this country but yes when you get to a general election and somebody's sitting at 3% another two guys are sitting at 40% well brothers and sisters i love you but there is a reality that you are in fact taking a vote that would be against Donald Trump and you're putting it in a category that is not going to win and you all know that I'm not saying today I'm saying if you get to election day and the polling still shows that and don't give me this crap about I don't believe in polling I think three percent could magically turn into fifty one percent but if on that day your candidates definitely not going to win why would you help Trump why why would you help him it just makes no rational sense to
1: me let me ask you this Cenk Why would the Democratic Party ever stop—you don't want to characterize it as rigging, I I uh, will—rigging the primary, disallowing a primary? Why would the media ever stop putting its finger on the scale the way that it does? If voters ultimately validate that behavior by continuing to vote blue no matter who, no matter how bad the Democratic Party gets, and no matter how corrupt the DNC is, when does it stop?
5: Yeah, it stops when we win the goddamn primary. And by the way, you that's all oh, that's impossible. No, it's not. Bernie came this close in 2016 and he came this close in 2020. He was he won the first three states. And who stopped him? Was it the Democratic Party that stopped him? No, it was corporate media that then well, heaped tons okay. of negative coverage on Bernie. Can we get past corporate media? Of course we can. You don't I think know it it's the Democratic super Party? hard. And that's their wall that's meant to keep us out, right? But look at us, you're doing it on Rising, we're doing it on Young Turks, and all of us are getting past it by having these conversations and having it reach the American people. Can a progressive win a primary? Absolutely, but But we need to have progressives who try and who bring us together on economic issues like Bernie did in 2016. And then I guarantee you victory, that's also what the book is about. I guarantee you you victory in 2028.
1: Jake, you don't think that the Democratic Party played a role in Obama calling the leading candidates, including Pete Buttigieg, who at that point had done better than Joe Biden, and asked him to yeah. drop out uh, after the South Carolina win. You don't think that that's evidence that the Democratic Party is willing to do whatever it takes to consolidate around a non-progressive yeah. candidate?
5: Brianna, I don't disagree with you 1%. That's not what I'm saying. I know Obama did that. I know that the moderate, Demo- so-called moderate Democrats, who are actually corporate Democrats, coalesced. Uh, by the way, Elizabeth Warren, has done many great things in her career. You cannot wipe that away. But her not coalescing with Bernie, both in 2016 and critically in 2020, cannot be forgiven. It was just when they coalesce, we have to coalesce. Anyways, uh, but, Brandon, what I'm saying is that was not the critical factor. Obama can get all of the corrupt uh, Democrats together and all the corporatists together, and they can go, whoa. Uh, But if the media doesn't then smear uh, Bernie and doesn't elevate Biden, it doesn't work. It's the media that's the critical part. The Democrats try to rig elections, but if the media didn't play along, that plot would not have worked at all. Bernie would have won the fourth primary state, and it would have been over. We were Mm -hmm. so close. My problem with progressives in Congress is we got near the goal line, and now they're going backwards. And they're going, oh, corporate Democrats, we bow our heads, we all endorse Joe Biden. Are you nuts? What are you endorsing Joe Biden for? He's a terrible candidate, he's a weak candidate, he's going to lose, he's not very progressive, and and you endorse him without getting anything in return? Don't you know, even elementary politics, use your leverage, for Christ's sake. Guys, you've got to trust me on the numbers. We're going to win these primaries, And, and mainstream media gets weaker by the day, and we get stronger by the day. Those primaries are ours. It's just like, even today, why don't we have a more uh, forceful primary against Biden? Because while while the media whines and complains about Biden, the minute that anybody steps in the race, they go, how dare you? Put your head to the leader. If you're a Democrat and you're a progressive, are you nuts listening to corporate media? No, do not ever listen to corporate media. Their job is to lull you back into sleep. And make sure that you love the status quo and that you obey corporate rule. Mm. Do not do that. Go and fight in the primaries. It is not at all too late. Look, if these are the only choices we have, voting for Marianne Williamson in the primary is the biggest no-brainer a progressive should ever have. There's no reason in the world to vote for Biden. She's both a stronger candidate and a more correct candidate.
0: Jake, let me ask you this before we go, and and I'm sure you get into some of this in your book. You know, I think you're so correct to rail against uh, the mainstream media, the corporate media, and the choices that they make, and, you know, obviously we're, uh, I mean, we're Part of a corporation, so I guess I can't say we're not corporate media, but we try to platform and celebrate um, alternative narratives like your own. But let me let me ask you this, because you you know you went after Jimmy Dore a little bit a minute ago. Um, I've noticed that in a lot of these independent and alternative media spaces, uh, voices we've. Featured on the show before, um, people who got big by having very pro Bernie Sanders audiences and messages have had, um, if not a right wing drift, a drift. I'm not sure that's in the direction of progressivism, or it's not in the direction of normal Bidenism either. It's in a direction I think of being more open to the the right. You know, people like or people whose audiences I think have that perspective, like. Glenn Greenwald's audience, Russell Brand's audience, we're going to be talking about Russell Brand later today for anyone, you know, watching this right now, um, that kind of thing. Does that, do you th- how does that square with your thesis on the inevitable takeover of progressivism?
5: Yeah, there's a couple of things there. Number one, uh, people are getting so frustrated with the Democratic Party because they almost never deliver that they're looking for alternatives. I mean, look, as a meta issue, that's why Trump won in 2016 in the first place. The the country is so deeply anti-establishment, except no one on TV will ever tell you that because they are the establishment. They're not going to come on TV and go, hey, by the way, country, uh, I'm going to end the gaslighting here. It turns out you guys all hate us. They're not going to say that, okay? So that is the absolute reality here. So, uh, but when you get into the jimmies of the world, there's audience capture and there's financialist interests, and then some have just lost their minds, in my opinion. Okay, and so, for example, Jimmy does a video that's pro-vaccine, it doesn't get a lot of views, he does one that's vaccine uh, skeptical, it gets a lot of views, guess what he does next? Wanting more videos that are vaccine skeptical. That's called audience capture, and you partly do it for the ego, and you partly do it for the money, and it takes strength not to go in that direction, and the right wing uh, is going and capturing these hosts one by one, and everybody has their different things. Look, I don't know Russell Brand and Glenn Greenwald's situation, but I do know that sometimes if some people have done terrible things, where are you going to go? You're not going to go to the left where they're going to out you and they're not going to support you. You're going to go to the right where they circle the wagons and they say you can do anything you want as long as you agree with us.
1: Drink, I, I have to offer some, I think, pushback there. On on two fronts, what I do think that you're accurately describing a psychological phenomenon where if people are getting a lot of criticism and pushback, some of which they perceive to be bad faith, there is an inclination to spend more time with people who have been nicer. I'm not saying that's a moral choice, but it is an obvious psychological outcome. And does that mean that people within the left community should perhaps extend more grace to each other so that that doesn't actually happen? And the second I would just want to ask you about You know, similar accusations, I feel I would be remiss not to bring up, that have been made about your network, Young Turks, about the $20 million of Katzenberg money that some people have argued changed the direction of TYT's coverage in a more liberal and less left direction.
5: Yeah. Okay, so I'll take it one at a time. Should people show each other more grace on the left? Absolutely. At the same time, you notice a phenomenon. It's okay to point it out. So it's okay for us to point out the... What Jimmy does with his videos is super obvious. It's one thing to criticize the Democratic Party, as you can tell from this interview. I do it very regularly and very forcefully. It's another thing to say the Republicans are okay. The Republicans are not okay. The Republicans are a disaster. The Republicans are much worse than the Democrats. Okay, now onto the second issue. Yeah, so then people go and look around. They go, okay, well, oh, the Young Turks got twenty million investment. Okay, now here's the things people don't know. People say Katzenberg. Katzenberg was involved, no question. The amount he has is near microscopic, and 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 so and by the way, we pay the money back. So I, I be honest, that's breaking news. We've never told anyone that, but we did. So um, that has no influence on us. But most importantly, Brianna, people just make up that we went towards the right way or went towards the moderate Democrats. I mean, they call me like those that the lunatic fringe uh, that follow Jimmy say we're establishment shills. They haven't watched one minute of the show. I mean, look at what the things I said to you before this question, right? Does it look like a one percent pro establishment? But they will see that and go, aha, nail it, he's for Hillary Clinton. Well, I look, I can't help you if you can't if you're not dealing with facts and logic. You can't show anything where we're in favor of Hillary Clinton. Well, no one fights harder you. in the Can primaries sp- against corporate democrats than TYT does, young Turks does, and I do. I formed the Justice Democrats to fight against corporate Democrats and we defeated them. There's nothing more practical and more real than what I did there in that instance.
1: I mean, Jake, I think specifically one of the moments that I remember of uh, TYT being characterized as no longer capturing the spirit of the Justice Democrats or what the Justice Democrats were supposed to uh, Do was the moment around Force the Vote, where there was a push for the elected squad members to take an adversarial relationship to the Democratic Party and Nancy Pelosi specifically, to withhold their votes for them the same way that we've now seen the Freedom Caucus model with withholding their votes for Kevin McCarthy at the beginning of this year, really testing the theory of how that would work and getting in return a number of concessions that I think we can all acknowledge would be amazing for the left to have achieved. And at that time, despite there being a poll that TYT put out of its audience, where a majority of the TYT audience seemed to support force the vote, the newscasters, the, the personalities on the show, were very much against it. And as I'm sure you can remember, that caused a significant rift down the left that persists in many ways. What do you say to that? I see you shaking your head.
5: Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but thank you for bringing it up because it, I'm, I'm happy to address it and try to clarify it the best I can. Guys, do I look like I don't want to force votes? Of course I do. Right. And I tell every congressperson that's going into Congress for the first time, if they'll listen to me, I tell them you have to create what the civil rights movement called good trouble. Now, that doesn't mean you go in wildly and flailing around doing impractical things, but it means you come up with a coordinated strategy. You then create good trouble and then you put a spotlight on an issue where you are on the Winning end of it, popularity wise. So, for example, one of the things we did with Justice Democrats is as soon as AOC won, we did a sit in in Nancy Pelosi's office. That put Green New Deal on the map, that put Sunrise Movement on the map, and in a lot of ways it reinforced Justice Democrats being on the map. I want you to take those kind of actions, but you have to actually use your mind and independent judgment as to which action to take. So, force a vote, Jimmy comes to me. Back then, we're still friends and allies. And I go, oh, look, it sounds like a pretty good idea. Okay. I, I definitely want to do something where we're forcing action, right? So, well, what's your plan, Jimmy? He's like, well, we're going to force a vote and we're going to a uh, get Medicare for all. I'm like, brother, what, I want Medicare respect, for all. Jake, but you have to take steps. You have to take steps. That... If you go straight to Medicare for all, you have a 0% chance without of it passing respect... and you're going to waste the power and the leverage. And who are you going to get as Speaker of the House? And he's that like, wasn't I, don't I don't know. I don't know. That's your strategy. I, no, I'm not going to agree with a moron who has no strategy, no plan, not at all practical. We could have forced a vote on $15 minimum wage, and we could have won that vote. But <laughs> instead, the force of vote, we're like, yeah, well, you didn't do what I wanted, okay, then I'm out. I'm, I'm not going to help you guys actually get the bills that we all want. Oh, come on, man. Grow up. Now, so,
1: Jenk, I would point out that Kevin McCarthy is still Speaker of the House. The issue was not whether or not Nancy Pelosi would necessarily become speaker. The the left, people like yourself, wait a minute. Who is going to replace Nancy Pelosi? Did you guys have a candidate? Who? if if I could, the right-wing caucus got a number of meaningful concessions.
5: Regardless but that's of, not what we're minute. going Excuse for, me. Brianna. That's Excuse exactly me. the problem. If they said, let's Excuse go for meaningful me. concessions, I would have been in. They said, we're going to get Medicare for all. Jane, sure with we all due are. respect,
1: your Fantasy characterization land. of what happened, I think, is reflective of the lack of grace and communication that was happening among the left at the time. And I think if people had been less motivated by the what. personal animosities against each other, it seemed that Jimmy Dore, you've, you know, you've, you've expressed them. Animosity toward him several times during our short conversation here. I do think if those personal animosities weren't at play, maybe we could have been in a world where you were listening to myself. Crystal Ball, Kyle Kalinske, other figures on the—Cornell like West, Chris Hedges, who were also advocating for this and who were being very clear that there were any number of demands. I wrote an article in Current Affairs that said all of this out contemporaneously, so you can go back and look, that it wasn't this idea that we were going to withhold the vote and magically get Medicare for all. And to the extent that it that was, was your presumption Brianna, or your you belief, I do think that that is and a, one a real thing, problem and the one communication other on the left. that you
5: guys wanted at the time. Name one other concession. At the time, don't make it up now. At the time, I, you can, name you one can, other thing I, you guys I'd want. I invite
1: you and the rest of the audience to go look at an article I wrote in the Current Affairs magazine in November of t- 2020, in which I consulted with David Sirota and included a list of subsequent uh, ancillary demands that he had written up in his own publication. And I link to them and say that these are also important. The important thing is that we need to demand something in exchange for our votes. But we don't need to rehash that. I, I, go ahead. I'll give you the no, last No, I need uh, to an say an one last response. thing, Brianna
5: i need to say one last thing you guys make it sound like we're the ones uh, who have animus no be clear about how this thing started as i told you in the beginning i said well that's interesting let's have a conversation about strategy and the minute i said let's have a conversation about strategy jimmy said that we were taking money from the cia and nancy pelosi you just mentioned david Sorota. he also attacked david Sorota. he also attacked uh... amy goodman from democracy now and and insinuated she was working with the cia so then I thought, well, no, I'm not going to work with a, a lunatic who thinks that Amy Goodman might be working with the CIA. And second of all, I didn't start to fight. This lunatic comes in, frothing at the mouth. Hey, I'm being funded by CIA. And How are you supposed to have a rational conversation with an absolute lunatic like that? And then you guys say we started it? Are you insane? I, I, I didn't say you started it. I don't care about
1: the personalities. Shank, you're talking about personalities. I'm talking about issues. All I know is that David Sirota supported Force the Vote. I had him on no, my didn't. podcast talking no, about he it many times. That's not yes, true. Yes, he did. No, and he, he continues didn't. to be an advocate that I re- value and respect a great deal. And, we, and he is an able, as a mature person, to tease away his personal feelings about human beings that he might share an idea with or a strategy with and the underlying strategy. And I really do hope that we see more of that on the left and less of a focus on who it is that's delivering a certain kind of a message, especially if you're right, Chank, and it's going to require a united and powerful independent media force in order to actually ever get a progressive into office. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking through some of these tough issues.
5: No problem. And you guys are funded by the CIA. But I'm sure you (laughs) won't take offense at that. So just be cool, be cool. Let's agree on policies. But you're obviously, Brianna have bought her house as a a Mercedes and a Rolls Royce, (laughs) all funded by Hillary Clinton and the CIA. But it's cool. It's cool. Let's stay friends. About the only thing
0: Brianna has convinced me of on this show is that there is, in fact, more dysfunction on the left (laughs) than on the right. And today is a good example of that. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jake.
5: That, unfortunately, is
0: true. (laughs) Have a good one.
2: Too uh, eccentric. I, I am. I'm
1: very known for having uh, a, a animated personality. Uh, maybe overtly animated personality. I was laughing. I was singing. Having a fantastic time. A fantastic time indeed. That was Colorado Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert responding to being kicked out of a Beetlejuice musical over the weekend in Denver for being too. Disruptive. CCTV video from inside the venue shows Bobert appearing to vape during the show and at points engaging in some heavy groping with a man she attended the play
0: with. Mm, Bobert and her beau were ushered out of the show after displaying lewd behavior, flipping the bird as she walked out, and allegedly threatening to report the ushers. The congresswoman and her team blamed the fog machine at first, but it wasn't before long. Their account went up in smoke. Yeah. So
1: there are some levels to it. Obviously Democrats have pointed out some inconsistency between some of the moral crusading she's been doing against Grooming um, members of the LGBT community being characterized as lascivious, sexually inappropriate, and here she is in a family-friendly event engaging in some not, some not so family-friendly, very uh, expletive. I believe we're not showing the footage of the groping, but it's it's out there, and it's not the kind of thing that you would do in a theater unless it's perhaps one of those adult. Theaters that they used to have on Times Square.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think there's no doubt that they should have been doing that in private, and you shouldn't you shouldn't do that in public, and you shouldn't you know fight or be combative with the ushers and all of that. It was just a bad. It was it was bad. She should have done it. What What do you mean? It's not the biggest deal in like the world, (laughs) and yeah, they're saying, well, what if it was two men? Then conservatives would be outraged, and I guess fine. But I'm 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 a little more. are we all being surveilled like at all times or something? Like how do you feel about that? I like you're being there's just a TV can't, your reactions to Beetlejuice have to be like what if you like pick your nose or something? I know you're gonna you're, be- you
1: Wait a minute, Robbie, you're like the, the, the biggest fan of the, the Amazon. because well, I don't want
0: my packages stolen.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not turning the camera inside the house. You don't want your packages th- stolen, and movie theaters, which are public spaces, don't want people to be having sex. Well, they're privately owned spaces. Fingering, doing any, whatever. What, what did you just say? <laughs> whatever they're doing this is a family I, show brianna I, i'm sorry it's hard to even describe what she's was, doing yeah. in a way that's appropriate because it was so inappropriate i'm sorry um so no i don't have an issue with uh, a, a small cctv camera being up in the corner of a movie theater people could be doing all kinds of illegal activities in there it's fine for them to want to watch it what do you make of her uh describing her behavior there in her mea culpa video as eccentric is that what the, the crit- criticism is that she's um, just a goofy gal
0: yeah it it was not eccentric. Is not a synonym for what she was doing, and uh, she got no push. I watched the rest of that interview. She got no pushback whatsoever. That was that was one America news for you. Um, she, yeah, it was not it was not eccentric. Oh, here's so there's some details about this boyfriend of yes, hers. Yes, I was going to that. He is a local bar owner, restaurant owner, mm-hmm. a Democrat. Mm-hmm. There are frequent drag performances yep. at this restaurant, so uh, uh-huh. you know. I think there's a lot of. Not, she's not really practicing what she preaches here. Indeed. Um,
1: it almost uh, begs the question whether she actually believes these things. Uh, whether or not she, and along with another, a number of other Republicans who have been caught in similar kind of hypocritical moments over the decades, are stirring culture war controversy to distract from the paucity of real uh, politically, uh, economically advantageous policies that would actually help their constituents. In the exact same way—I'm not just targeting Republicans—in the exact same way that Democrats like to talk about the other side of these culture issues so that nobody, as Cenk Huger said in an interview we did with him earlier today. Looks up and notices the real people in power that are pulling the strings and making
0: life miserable. For looks everyone. up and notices that the cameras are on. You should not be doing that in Beetlejuice. You thought you thought I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna expose you in front of the audience. You thought before I told you that they were actually watching the movie from the. Yeah, I thought that late, there was a new movie that I.
1: I mean, I understood that it was a musical, but I thought that not that they were watching the old movie, but that mm. they had been just like a remake. Like they they remake. A lot of things and sometimes oh, it's, them a, to music. it's a
0: musical production version of the movie which feels a lot worse ago. to me
1: because you're not just disrespecting your fellow moviegoers you are disrespecting all of the performers right. that it's are and you yeah. could be disrupting them also I think that movies tend to be a little darker than plays plays are better lit mm-hmm. and it seems much more bold to do something like that in a theater like a, a, a right. theatrical theater, as opposed right. to just a kind of a dark movie theater, we have different kinds of sets up. Some movie theaters aren't that big. Some of them have the seats pretty spaced apart. You can go in the back, and you know teenagers. These were to not do spaced apart. Do. They
0: were fully near other people. We saw the, yeah. the footage
1: we just had up. It was
0: packed
1: yeah. and dense. And apparently, here's a detail that we didn't mention. It was a pregnant woman sitting behind her that first uh, asked her to stop before she was ejected for causing a disturbance at the show. Um, Yeah. If you're at a point where pregnant ladies at a musical theater version of Beetlejuice are calling you out, for engaging in X-rated activity, it may be time to reevaluate uh, your life a little bit. Of course, Boebert has uh, blamed drag shows uh, for grooming kids. She took to the House floor in July, introducing an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act that would bar the purchase of pornographic books for military schools. Let's listen.
3: Let's stop grooming our children, including our military kids.
1: It's gross. It is wrong. I am here to take a stand against it. And I urge my colleagues to pass my amendment to protect our military
3: children from obscene content they should not be exposed to.
1: Well, if you were a military family or child and were in that particular audience, uh, please do let us know uh, because it does seem like there's some Significant hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, there's here. just no way to
0: get around the if you're very animated by the idea of um, se- sexually provocative performances in public in front of young people, which I don't think is a crazy thing to be upset about. Um, this then, this is just blatantly hypocritical. I will say the difference
1: is you can judge a parent's choice. But drag shows are advertised as drag shows, and parents are voluntarily taking their kids and exposing them to that. What happened in this movie theater was not voluntary or consensual for any of the children or anybody else, unborn children, Mm -hmm. who were um, in that room with her. So look, I personally, honestly, I don't care. I don't think this is the biggest deal in the world. If she's uh, finding Mm -hmm. her, you know, getting her groove back post-divorce, she's a a young 36-year-old woman, I don't care. It is truly only the hypocrisy. She's a grandmother. She is. Yeah. That as well.
0: There is a—I saw someone making this argument, and I I kind of see this. There's a—you know, she's an elected representative Mm -hmm. who feels, what, no pressure to comport herself in a dignified way in public. Like, not even that, like— Whatever, you did the underlying thing, and then the ushers ask you to leave, and you flip them off in front of everyone. Like, these are your constituents, right? Or maybe maybe they're in a room somewhere it. else. But yeah. it's— it's uh, and, and that it's the contempt, the bold contempt that elected leaders show ordinary people um, is is pretty wild and, and— And, like, her election was close. It was real yes. close. She almost lost. Yes. So I, I don't know if that's the best— Idea, like we, I want—not I, that I want to cancel everybody for kind of ridiculous things, of which this is certainly one case. But you would, if you got caught doing this, and you just had, like, you just worked at a convenience store or something, you'd be worried you were going to get fired. There was yeah. going to somehow, you know, sure. get made into a thing. And I would be totally against making a thing. Yeah. I would be absolutely dead set against yeah. it. But. Yeah. You occupy a, a seat of public prominence where you should be held more accountable than other people. Mm-hmm. More, You should be more accountable to the people than just regular person working a regular old job. And these are the least accountable of all. This this comes into the conversation with the age conversations mm-hmm. we have about Mitch McConnell's and Joe Biden and Feinstein. Feinstein's. That they wouldn't bag groceries anymore. They, mm-hmm. the, the company wouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet they get to occupy the most powerful political positions on earth. Yeah. It's I'm, backward. I'm not even—
1: Famous and I am conscious of the fact that if anyone ever catches me being a less than generous tipper If someone catches me saying something untoward in the back of an uber like that that could reflect negatively on my public image And the idea that someone who is literally a sitting congresswoman doesn't have that same sense of decorum is Mind-boggling and perhaps speaks to a broader disrespect for
0: the electorate for sure more rising right after this
1: We have an update for you on the United Auto Workers strike. Ford and General Motors have announced layoffs for non-striking workers. Ford announced temporary layoffs of around 600 employees at the Michigan assembly plant. And General Motors said it would be, quote, idling its Fairfax assembly plant in Kansas, which will put 2,000 people out of work, according to Local 4 News.
0: UAW President Sean Fain released a statement following reports of planned layoffs of non-striking workers at General Motors and Ford. Quote, let's be clear, if the big three decide to lay off people who aren't on strike, that's them trying to put the squeeze on our members to settle for less. With their record profits, they don't have to lay off a single employee. In fact, they could double every auto worker's pay, not raise car prices, and still rake in billions of dollars. Their plan won't work.
1: I think in particular, that refrain, where they contrast what the company could do, pointing to enormous profits and the fact that they could literally double the salaries for everybody working there, which is not what the um, UAW workers are advocating for, really does put the onus back on the big three to justify why they would do something like put all of these workers, non-striking workers, out of work, seemingly out of spite. They can obviously not fire the striking workers without being uh, perceived as uh, or being charged with retaliation under various labor laws. So it does seem like they're taking it out on those they can't take it out on, hoping to divide and conquer, So that's why they're doing
0: it, because they're legally prohibited from laying off workers that are on strike.
1: Well, they can be—my understanding is they can be sanctioned for doing so as a a kind of retaliation. It is your right— you have the, the right to withhold your labor. And so now the question is, is there public sentiment going into align with the big three automakers who are hurting random innocent workers who they certainly can afford to pay and who have been working in a way that enables the company to bring in record profits all to prevent a more equitable distribu- distribution of the gains of that exact labor?
0: So you said they're not asking for their salaries to be doubled, but they are asking for a 40% raise. Which is reflective Um,
1: of what the CEO
0: pay raise is. The company has has offered 20%. Those are pretty generous raises.
1: Not as generous as what they've given to the CEOs, whose work product, frankly, is not creating the value in the company.
0: Okay. But 20% is still, I mean, it's still a lot. It's not, it's a... A massive rate. If I
1: stole a hundred dollars out of your wallet and said I was gonna give you fifty dollars of it back Would you be happy that I returned some of the money or would you be resentful I that, that I stole really, fifty dollars
0: from you? I don't think that analogy really works because they're not stealing their money. They work for them. Well,
1: this is late-wage lab, labor the Hill's theory. The
0: not from, stealing from me. It employs me, right? Reason's not stealing from me. It employs me. You know, I don't like it. I don't have to work for them.
1: Well, if you don't feel like you're being paid the value of your labor You should consider working somewhere else. Yeah. And that's exactly what these people are saying. They're saying that from the direct product of what we do with our hands every single day of our lives, we have enabled this company, these companies, to earn record profits you have taken those profits and instead of investing them in us or in the business you have engaged in stock buybacks to drive up the price of your shares and distributed funds to shareholders into CEOs and executives these executives have gotten a 40% pay raise because of the productivity and the labor of the workforce and instead of distributing those gains among the people without whom they would not exist, there has been a choice to use the fact that poor and working people are living paycheck to paycheck and are less likely to complain because they need those jobs and instead prioritize shareholders who whose only contribut- contribution to the company is that they were
0: rich enough to buy in at the top level. Um, I guess I would... Uh, For me, my part, I would look with a little bit of disdain on whatever legal policies are in place that when this kind of thing happens, the people that get punished are the people who are not going on strike. Well, that's
1: that's the choice of the big three automakers. So I agree. That's really unethical behavior. Many people are going to feel that way. And if you think that there should be laws that constrain um, companies from firing non-striking workers, I think that we could probably have a conversation about that. It's
0: not what I was saying.
1: (laughs) I know. It's not what you're saying, Robbie.
0: Now in the wake of simultaneous strikes by Hollywood actors and writers, talk show host Drew Barrymore reversed course on her decision to resume filming uh, her talk show after she received intense backlash. When originally announcing the show would be returning this fall without its writer, she said in a since-deleted video, I wanted to do this because, as I said, this is bigger than me and there are other people's jobs on the line. And since launching live in a pandemic, I just wanted to make a show that was there for people in sensitive times. I weighed the scales. I thought if we could go on during a global pandemic and everything that the world has experienced through 2020, why would this sideline us? Now, members of the Writers Guild picketed outside the Drew Barrymore show last week after the talk show resumed production.
1: Now, Barrymore has decided to pause the show's return until the end of the strike, posting on Instagram, quote, I have listened to everyone and am making the decision to pause the show's premiere until the strike is over. I have no words to express my deepest apologies to anyone I have hurt and, of course, to our incredible team who works on the show and has made it what it is today. We really tried to find our way forward, and I truly hope for a resolution for the entire industry very soon. Braymore also posted a video of her apologizing prior to her decision to pause production. Let's watch some of that.
3: I deeply apologize to writers. I deeply apologize to unions. I deeply apologize. There's nothing I can do or say in this moment to make it okay. I wanted to own a decision so that it wasn't a PR protected situation and I would just take full responsibility for my actions. There are so many reasons why this is so complex and I just want everyone to know my intentions have never been in a place to upset or hurt anyone.
1: Now, notably, she has seemingly deleted that video from her Instagram. Now, she got a lot of pushback. I think, um, one, substantively because she was being a scab and politically many people, uh, especially in her industry, did not support uh, going on with her show, but I think also because she's known to be someone who's empathic, who um, cares about the little guy, that's kind of the ethos of her show, she will get down on the ground and hold hands and cry with people. So it did seem out of character. And I do think that this apology, although some still think uh, they want to criticize her for making the mistake in the first place, the, the apology is better received than certain other people in the space. Namely, Bill Maher, who, after referring to some of the UAW requests as kooky and saying uh, on September 13th that Real Time with Bill Maher is coming back uh, without writers, just before we started recording this uh, segment, uh, seems to have reversed course. Now, he's not saying— Uh, generally speaking, that, you know, he supports the workers or whatever that uh, Drew Barrymore Mm -hmm. said. He said specifically, my decision to return to work was made when it seemed nothing was happening and there was no insight to the strike. Now that both sides have agreed to go back to the negotiating table, I'm going to delay the return of real time for now and hopefully they can get this done. So that feels a little bit like, well, I'm not making a value judgment here, but it seems like this is going to get wrapped up anyway, so I can wait. And I do think that people were going to be less sympathetic to that, which is not an acknowledgment that he made an anti-labor action. Um, he's also—we other, we've talked about this in another segment—referred um, to um, the, the demands being made as kooky and, dis- and as being mm-hmm. very dismissive of them. Um, and I wonder whether or not this is going to have more broad implications for him and his writing staff, if, if they even choose to return to his show, given the lack of solidarity that he's shown to them. What do you make of this?
0: I mean, I don't know. I I, I think uh, the reaction that Drew Barrymore received could have been very much, very well anticipated. So it's kind of like it was an it was an it was a error if if she, if, she, if she I mean she could do it, but she had to know that people are going to yell at her like yeah. that. Whereas Bill Maher, I mean, I think he has a slightly different or the people who like him the most. Honestly, he has a lot of appreciation from independent right-wing type people now, so maybe the things he says about labor don't count against him very much. And, And also, I mean, I don't know if that was true or genuine or an excuse or not, but the decision to actually make sense to me that, like, no, we're going to resume. They're like, oh, well, if it's about to end, no reason to put out a show or two that are of sub-quality because we don't have writers if it is coming to an end. If there's no end in sight, we're going to get back to it. Again, that's not an answer, obviously, that will appease labor people or labor-supporting people, but it makes And he has sense to work to in this
1: industry. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not just his audience. It's the staff. his job. It's his staff, and he's the leader of this ship, and you know, he's relying on them to write quality jokes for him and be supportive of him. And I will say that in his initial statement, he acknowledged that his show was going to be less good because the writers weren't there. And he clearly values their contributions to the show. But what is this gap between valuing their contribution to his show and thinking they need to be paid equitably? Um, That's that's the fundamental tension.
0: I mean, probably creative people like Marr and Drew Barrymore are, you have to, you have to concede that they have some probably legitimate frustration and not, not that they're they, they're angry at their workers or something, but they don't want to sit around not producing television. Yeah, and
1: the workers who have been on strike don't want to sit around not being employed and not having paychecks and not being able to pay their rent. It's hardest on them. Nobody wants to be doing this. And, you know, there's some framing issues that are happening here where, you know, the media wants to say, well, they brought this on themselves. They're making these choices. They're the ones that are preventing your favorite show from coming on TV. They're the ones that are stopping the auto plant manufacturer. They're the ones that are not letting the trains go on time to bring your Christmas. Presence for the railroad strike. That's how they frame these issues. But at the end of the day, when you look at the requests that people are, be, are are making, the rail workers wanted one vacation day. Is it really the onus on them or on the railroad barons who won't just give them the one right. vacation the day? So everybody want can go a back. Forty
0: percent pay increase and a four-day work week yes. and a lot of stuff. The
1: auto workers who made enormous concessions uh, to end these contract disagreements back in the 80s and took pay cuts and are now making worse inflation-controlled than they did 30 years ago want to be brought up to parity, especially since the CEOs are making millions of dollars hands over fists and they have gotten a 40 percent pay raise. Why should a CEO deserve a 40 percent pay raise and the employees not deserve a 40 percent pay raise when you could give everybody a 100 percent
0: pay raise and still be a profitable company? I think the uh, the the movie the, the writers are in a somewhat different situation. They're in a more confusing. the The economics of their industry is more confusing, I think, to them and to everyone involved. And I'm interested to see after a deal is reached. I. I think there might be long, um, uh, there's going to be consequences for this industry in terms of just the streaming economy in general, if some of the things they get. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying there's going to be consequences in terms of transparency for how ma- how much shows are perceived to actual make actually make, even from the shareholder perspective.
1: Maybe. But it's notable that smaller companies like A24 are able to continue to make movies because they simply acquiesced to the demands of the strikers. So there's a question why... A24 can do what MGM and some of these enormous, much more lucrative companies insist they're not able to do in terms of paying their uh, writers and actors
0: equitably. I guess we'll find out. That does it for us for today. Tomorrow on Rising, Brianna and I will be back. Same time, same place. A lot more to get to. A lot of stuff I wanted to get to today that I don't think we had time for, but we will bring it up tomorrow.
1: Be sure to like, share, and subscribe so you never miss any content. And for those of you who prefer to listen while you're on the go, we are now available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Bye-bye. Take care.